I've asked you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Last week we began our study through this book, and we're going to go through 1 Thessalonians and, and 2 Thessalonians, but last week was more by way of introduction. We just did an introduction to the book today. We're actually going to go through the first chapter. But as we do that today, I, I wanted to go back just a little bit further than we did last week. Something that we talked about at Christmas time. You'll recall that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And as he's born there on that night, that the angel appears to the shepherds. And when the angel appears to the shepherds, uh, what the angel says, and I put it there on your outline, says, the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so we looked at that at Christmas time and we talked about how the angel uh, said, I bring you great joy. Uh, uh, I bring you good news of great joy. And we mentioned how that word great was the word megas from where we get the English word this is not going to work. <laughs> the word is megas, where we get the English word. Mega. There you go, mega. And so, so it's mega, and a, a, a great joy. So we would say mega joy. And then we looked at that word there for good news, and we highlighted that that word was euagalizo, and that means to announce good news, but especially the gospel. One of the things that we're going to find is that those two words for gospel and, and good news, they're the same words. So you can use them interchangeably. And we'll see that today as we go. So the angel comes to the shepherds and he announces the gospel of mega joy. And it was at that time that I said, if I were to be honest with you, I would have to share that growing up, I did not receive what we would refer to as the gospel of mega joy. Uh, if I were to be honest, it was that many times it was the gospel of mega rules, and uh, it, it was more of a mega burden than a mega blessing. And so in part of my church background, we would look on at other people as we had all of these rules, and we would judge other people based upon them keeping our rules. Does anybody else come from a background like that? And, and so, and, but it wasn't a mega joy, it was more of a mega burden. And then another part of my church background, it seemed, a part of my church background, it seemed that what we were trying to do in this gospel was to perpetuate the dress code of the 1950s uh, with the music of the 1850s. And, and it, it really was not a gospel of mega joy. It was more just, you know, mega boredom or mega just, you know, it was a burden. And so it was more of a burden than it was a blessing. So I'm suggesting, and if you're like me, many of my friends have walked away as we grew up, walked away from the gospel because it was never the gospel of mega joy. It was the gospel of mega burden. And so today what I, what, I, what, I, what I want to talk about is what does it look like when you receive the gospel of mega joy? And then as we do this, I think it's important for all of us to evaluate, did we receive the gospel that the angel said would be mega joy or is that a gospel of mega burden. And so we'll look at that today as we go. So we've been following Paul and his journey. And one of the things I also want to suggest, and please write this down, that Paul always brought the gospel of mega joy, the gospel of mega joy. Everywhere that Paul went, people wanted to embrace this gospel of mega joy. 
So as our story picks up, we've mentioned a couple of times, Paul is on his second missionary journey. And so we've been starting with the map. And once again, if you go all the way to the right-hand side of the screen, all the way down at the bottom, you'll see Jerusalem. Jerusalem is at the southern part of Israel. You go about 300 miles north in the area of what we'd say modern-day Turkey, and there was the city of Antioch. And now Antioch is a very Gentile town, and uh, people are surprised when you say that that was Paul's home church in in the Bible. Uh, Paul only spends at the most a few weeks of his entire Christian experience there at the church in Jerusalem. So it's there at the church of Antioch that they send Paul on a missionary journey, which is going to take several years. So he travels across the area that says Asia. Now, they said Asia then. We would say modern-day Turkey today. And last week, we followed the journey as he goes to Troas and then all the way up across the Aegean Sea to this town of Philippi. And so as we looked at that last week, Paul goes to the town of Philippi He's teaching the gospel of mega joy. People are receiving this, but uh, some people become hostile to that. So Paul is arrested. And uh, we talked about how it was there in Philippi that he receives a beating and it's a life-changing, disfiguring beating that he would never ultimately recover from, at least the scars. It was just a horrific beating and we talked about that. And so It's at that time there in Philippi that they discover that Paul is a Roman and so they want to get Paul out of town because you're not supposed to do that to a Roman without due process. And of course, uh, we we talked about that, how uh, they, they didn't find out that he was a Roman first and now they're in trouble. So they make a deal. They get Paul out of town and they send Paul, go back to the map, down to the city, or they don't send him, but Paul leaves and he goes down to the city of Thessalonica and he begins to to teach this gospel of mega joy there. Now, as we get into this today, just for understanding purposes, when, when you get into Bible interpretation, one of the first questions you always want to ask is, who is he writing to? Uh, because there are different audiences in the Bible that, that letters are written to. So when Paul writes to the Hebrew believers, he's going to write one way. When he writes to the church of Corinth, he's going to write very differently. It's a very different audience. So when Paul comes to this town of Thessalonica, one of the things that we notice is that he goes to the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was the place where the Jewish people congregated and worshiped. And as he goes there, he would always go to the synagogue first because there at the synagogue, they had what we would call the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, they had their Bible. And the Jewish people had spent a great deal of time memorizing, studying. And so when one of them became a believer, they they had a, a much greater grasp of the gospel. So Paul would always start there. And so as he goes there, one of the things that we're going to find today as Paul writes that he's going to have a unique audience. I put this there on your outline. So when Paul went there, and we looked at this last week, he goes there to the, the synagogue there in Thessalonica, and it says, now some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and as did a, and I've underlined, a large number of Greek, of God-fearing Greeks, large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. One of the things that we're going to find is that the majority of the church is made up of what used to be God-fearing Greeks who had come from a very pagan background. Now, they were God-fearing Greeks. They had not converted to Judaism, 
although they were there worshiping the God that the Jewish people worship. Now, the reason that they had not converted to Judaism is that that would require a certain surgery. And um, it's one of those surgeries that you find out there's a reason why they do that when you're a baby, because you never remember. You do that when somebody's 30, they never forget. And so they had not completely converted, but they are God-fearing. They're worshiping the God of the Jewish people. Now, some of the Jewish people would also embrace the gospel, but most would not. Now, there's another detail. They were God-fearing Greeks, but in chapter one of Thessalonians, and I put this verse there in your outline, Paul's going to say, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So that, that gives us a little bit more detail. They had begun as idol worshipers, but somewhere along the line, they became disillusioned with the idols that they were worshiping. And they saw something in the God of Israel and that, that, that attracted them. They found that this God, the God of the people of Israel, this God cared about his people. And this God had a book, and that book taught people how to live and how to live lives where they would prosper and do well and, and be able to have families and, and do all of that. But when they worshiped the idols, those idols never really cared about the people. So you would go to the idol's temple and you would sacrifice to that idol that idol didn't really care about you, but you would sacrifice and you felt that if you sacrificed enough um, that maybe that idol would not destroy your crops or take your life or um, and maybe if you sacrificed you know, even more, maybe you could get that idol to do a favor on your behalf. So that, those idols weren't really concerned about the people. So when Paul arrives the God-fearing Greeks have left the idols and they have come over and now they are worshiping the God of the Jewish people and, and they, they found something there. This God cared about them. So when Paul shows up as they've been there at the synagogue and learning and hearing all the stories about this, this God that cares about people, Paul shows up and he completes the story and he gives them the gospel of mega joy. And he talks about this Messiah that was coming, the Christ and all that he would do. Now there at the synagogue, they would talk about one day when this Christ comes, the Messiah comes, he's going to fix a lot of things. And we'll certainly talk about that as we go. But when Paul showed up and he gave the gospel of mega joy, most of those at the synagogue never made the jump to embrace the Messiah, the Christ. And uh, I keep that in mind because when you, you look at these God-fearing Greeks who had left idol worship, they've come over to the synagogue, they're learning all about this God. And uh, these people at the synagogue had become their spiritual mentors, like, like spiritual parents to them. And one day Paul comes along and he completes the story and he says that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. Most of those there at the synagogue would not embrace. And so the God-fearing Greeks have a decision that they have to make. They're looking at their mentors, but they're also looking at their Bible and they're hearing the gospel of mega joy. And so they have to make a decision and they choose to follow 
the gospel of mega joy that Paul is talking about. You and I, um, for many of us, we come from a denominational background. And uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to be part of a couple of denominations and be kind of at the center of those denominations. Not one of the denominational leaders, but at the center of those things. And one of the things that you find is that when you have a denomination, you have the system of thought. And the way that you become a denominational leader is you embrace that thought. And so when somebody else comes along and says, hey, have you considered this? Uh, typically the thought process at the top is to say, no, we don't consider this. We have this. And so we, 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 just, we, don't, we don't even look at that. I want to encourage you to be like the Thessalonians who, although they had some spiritual mentors, when more truth was revealed about Jesus, they realized they had to follow Jesus rather than their system of thought. Does that make sense? So keep that in mind as we go. So Paul is there at Thessalonica. If we put the map up, is there for a short period of time. And some of the people who don't embrace the gospel there at the synagogue, they incite a riot. And so Paul has to leave that and he goes all the way down to Greece, to the bottom part of Greece, to the city of Corinth. And he's going to be there about 18 months. He's there about six months and he heads, uh, he heads down sooner than the rest of the crowd. And, and ultimately, Timothy and Silas, who've been traveling with him, they catch up. And so they come to Corinth and they give Paul this update as to everything that's going on there at the church of Thessalonica. And they say, the church is doing great but right now they're undergoing a great deal of persecution. So Paul writes back to them this book that we're going to look at called 1 Thessalonians. Now as we get into this, the big question is what do you leave in and what do you leave out? I'm going to focus in on today on the results of embracing the gospel of mega joy. And so that's what we're going to focus in on today. But there's a lot more. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy... Silvanus is the same word as Silas. Silas was the uh, traveling partner. It's like saying Bob, Bobby, or Robert. So Silvanus and Silas are the same guy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now verse 2 and 3, he says, We give thanks to God always for you, for all, for, we, always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. We're going to come back to those two verses at the end, but uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. Now, in verse 4, this is where the plot thickens. So verse 4, it's a short verse. We might be tempted to uh, read through it and go on. But verse 4, he says, Knowing brethren... Beloved by God, his choice of you. When you know who Paul is writing to and their background, uh, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense why he is saying certain things to this group. So Paul has said certain things to this group that are going to be very important to these Thessalonians. And so they were former idol worshipers worshipers and they've turned to God. And so there in your outline, the first thing I want to highlight is unlike the idols they used to serve, uh, God declares that they're loved by God. So verse four, he says, knowing brethren, beloved by God, beloved by God. 
when they served idols, those idols didn't generally care about the people. So they, they didn't care about you personally, and you didn't go there because they loved you. You went there because you felt that if you sacrificed to them, uh, maybe they wouldn't destroy your crops and your life, and maybe if you sacrificed enough, they would then maybe even do you a favor. So Paul is reminding these Thessalonians that unlike the idols that they served, central to the gospel of mega joy is a God who really cares about his people. Now you and I are created in the image of God. And, and uh, so for those of us who are parents, you'll understand this. For those of us who are parents, and we, 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 we love our kids passionately. Would you agree, parents, that there are times where we have sacrificed greatly so that we could bless our children or we could help them accomplish what it is that they need to accomplish? Am I alone in this? We, we, we've all done this. We've all done now, Do our kids always recognize the sacrifice that, that we've made? Good. So I'm not alone in this one. Good. <laughs> So, so, the, so here's a God who's very different than the idols. This God loves his people. So Paul wants to accentuate that. I, um, I have in my notes here, in part of my church background, we were told about a God who, uh, we were told about a God that loved us, but it always seemed that he was a God who was always just a little bit mad at us. How many of you have that kind of, background. So he was always just a little bit mad at us. Well, that's not the God of the gospel of mega joy. This God loves his people. So not only are they loved by God, but in verse four, I want you to notice knowing brethren beloved by God. Um, One of the things that we're going to find, and you want to write this down, they're going to be called brethren 15 times in this little book. So there's going to be in 1 Thessalonians this emphasis that they're brethren, they're a family. When they served idols, you would go to the, you'd go to the temple of the idol, but you didn't really connect with other believers in that idol. You didn't get into groups and anything like that. You went there just to make your sacrifice. So you weren't really connected with the other believers. So it wasn't about a fellowship at all. It was about making your sacrifice and then going your way. So part of this gospel of mega joy God wants to convey, and you want to write this down, that they're part of God's family. They're, they're brethren. They're brethren. This is very different than the, the idol's temple. So they're connected. They're believers. Again, very, very different than the idols that they had worshipped before. So as, as brethren, as, as God's family, they're finding that they're actually closer and they have more in common with the brethren who are part of God's family than even their biological family. And for many of us, we would say that's the same thing that we've experienced. We love our biological family, but we have a lot more in common at times with the brethren, the people who are part of God's family. So, so we see that. So unlike the idol's temple, they're loved by God, they're family. And uh, then what we're going to notice is that they're going to be chosen by God. And uh, so verse four, he says, knowing brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. That word choice tends to throw many people. So I want to take a minute and just talk about that if I can. When they worshiped idols, those idols weren't necessarily seeking them. 
they were seeking the idol and the blessing of the idol. So they, they would be alone in this. And, and so it wasn't that that idol chose them. So at a certain point, they became disillusioned with those idols and, and they found that the God of the Bible, the God of the Jewish people at the synagogue was a God who cared about his people. And they would go to the synagogue and they would hear all the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the times where God says, I've chosen the Jewish people. So for instance, one verse, I put it there in your outline. It says, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you, speaking to the nation of Israel, because you are more number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. So they were really drawn to this God who loved his people. And they, they heard all the stories about how God acted on, on, on the behalf of, of his people. But they were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. And, and they would look on and say, so we can convert to Judaism, but we'll never be Jewish. So for instance, if I were to go to Italy and I could spend the next 50 years in Italy and then be absorbed in the culture and all that, uh, I, I can appreciate that, but I'll never be Italian, you know, because I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not part of that, that, that race. So they were God-fearing, but they never converted to Judaism because the truth is they would never actually be Jewish. So they thought that because we can't convert, I mean, we can convert, but we can never be Jewish, that, and God chose the Jewish people, so we're, we're always going to feel like we're just a little bit left out. So Paul comes along with the gospel of mega joy. And uh, there on your outline, I want you to write this down. Paul says, as God chose the Jewish people, God has now chosen the Gentiles as his people too. So God had chosen the Jewish people, but now God has chosen the Gentiles. So they don't have to worry about where they stand with God. God chose them just like he chose the Jewish people. And he loved the Gentiles just like he loved the Jewish people. Now, you want to keep in mind, Paul is writing to a group of people. They've left idols. Uh, they've come to the place where uh, they were God-fearing Gentiles. And God says, just like them, I've chosen you. So when God chose the Jewish people, he chose the whole race. Uh, the reason this is so important is that there are those who would take that word there, chose, and they will say that God chooses who is going to be saved as he chose them, and God at the same time chooses who is not going to be saved. And typically in church world, those people are called Calvinists, and they're called those of Reformed theology. How many of you have ever heard of, of that? So we would not be part of that camp. The reason being, when God chose the Jewish people, not all the Jewish people chose God. So for instance, you have the story of Ahab and Jezebel there in the Old Testament. So Ahab and Jezebel, you recall the story if uh, you've been around the Bible for a while. Ahab and Jezebel, he's the king, she's the queen. It's the first time you have a queen who's a co-ruler there in Israel. Most of the time you wouldn't know the queen's name, but you do in this situation. Jezebel's big thing is the sacrificing of babies to foreign gods. 
Ahab, who's part of the Jewish people, part of the chosen, he goes along with that. He endorses and advocates the sacrificing of babies to foreign gods. And so God says, you, you, know, you, you, you might be part of the chosen people, but you're certainly not one of mine. So you and I are not going to see Ahab when we get to heaven. Uh, there's a man named Jeroboam, and God says to him, yes, you're part of the people that I chose, but you didn't choose me. And God says, you even went even worse. And, and so we won't see him when we get to heaven. Because although God chose them, they never chose God, they chose something else. And so the idea is that, yes, God chose the people, and that was to be a blessing, but they had to then turn around and choose him. So when we read verses, like this verse there in your outline, it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's never God's will that any perish. He's chosen all of us, but not all of us will choose him. Another verse that you're familiar with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It doesn't say that God so loved the chosen that whoever is chosen will not perish. It says God loved the world and so whoever chooses him. Does that make sense? And again, there's whole denominations that divide on that. Uh, we're, part, we're, God, we're part of the, the church that says God chose everybody, but we also have to choose, choose him. So it's the gospel of mega joy because God wants everybody to be part of it. Well, in the gospel of mega joy, verse five, we looked at this last week. I'll read it in your Bibles and we'll come back and read it on the outline. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and we underline that word power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So last week we looked at that, and uh, there in your outline we said, for our gospel, we noticed that word is euagelion, euagelion, I'm probably butchering that, did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And uh, we talked about that word. We'll talk about that in a moment. And in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Uh, full conviction. So last week we looked at the word good, or earlier in our teaching today, we looked at the word good news and we saw that that word was eugelizo, but here gospel is eugelion. It's the same word and they're used interchangeably. So gospel and good news are the same word and they can be used interchangeably. Last week we highlighted that the word there for power is the word dunamis. And we mentioned that the definition of that word is force, especially miraculous power, usually by implication, a miracle itself. And so we said last week, we said, you know, when we see that word dunamis, we say the word dunamis and we get the English word dynamite. And everybody says dynamite. But what most don't know is that that word dunamis is also the word for miracle. So we highlighted that that's last week, you'll recall. So for instance, Jesus goes to his hometown, there in your outline. And it says he could, do, he could not do any miracles, and that word there for miracles is dunamis. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. The word there for miracles is the word dunamis. Now we'll talk about that in just a second. Now in, in that verse, it had nothing to do with he couldn't do miracles because it wasn't really his will. 
It had to do with their lack of faith. They, they just couldn't believe it. So commentaries will point out, like Adam Clark's commentary will say that that word dunamis should be translated that our gospel came to you with uh, miracles that attested to the gospel, something, something like that. But go ahead and write this down. The gospel of mega joy came with miracle power. This was nothing like the gods that they had served when they served idols. Not only did this God care for them, not only did this God want to make them family, but this God wanted to step into their lives and do things for them to fix the broken parts of their life. And he didn't want to wait till they got to heaven to do that. He wanted to step in into the here and now. So it was the gospel that also brought miracle power. Verse six, he says, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example. I've underlined the word example and imitators to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. Go ahead and write this down. They were so impacted by the gospel of mega joy that they became imitators of Paul and examples to other believers. So how did they become examples and imitators? Verse six, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that they became imitators is they persevered in difficulty. Whatever this gospel was, it was so important that even if it meant difficulty, they were still going to follow. We find another thing, and you want to write this down, they were eager to share the message. Verse 8, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Uh, Like Paul, they wanted to get the word out. They were so impacted. There was something about this. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 9, it says, For they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve. And I want you to underline that word, serve, a living and true God. One of the things that we find is that they were actively serving the Lord however they could. So there was something about this gospel that was so amazing that they said, how can we participate? So what, what I would want to say here and, um, and ask you to think through, when you received the gospel, was it the gospel of mega joy? Because if it was the gospel of mega joy, it's going to manifest in you of a desire to serve him. It's going to manifest in you a desire to tell others. Uh, or, or is there something about this gospel that you've embraced that you go, ah, it's okay for me, but I don't really want to tell too many people. If that's the case, then I would suggest that it's very likely that you never received the gospel of mega joy. It's actually been the gospel of mega burden And you go, I love the Lord, but it's just for me. Because you've never embraced it as the gospel of mega joy. Probably because of the background that you come from. Well, verse 10, it says, 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now we talked about this last week. Every chapter at the end of the, each chapter in this book refers to Jesus coming back. So go ahead and write this down. They're excited and waiting for Jesus. This is going to be a theme through the book. We'll talk about this each week, uh, especially as we get a little bit further. It's very popular in church world today for pastors to stand in front of congregations and say something like, don't focus in so much on Jesus coming back. I mean, it all pans out in the end. Can't really understand that. Just, it's not really all that important. When he shows up, he shows up. Um, but here, they're actively waiting and looking for Jesus. When a pastor says that, uh, that's not actually biblical Christianity. Because in biblical Christianity, there's an emphasis on watching for Jesus. Does that make sense? So, as we wrap this up today, um, if the gospel that you have received, the gospel of mega joy, doesn't make you actively look for Jesus, doesn't make you actively want to participate in serving, doesn't actively make you want to uh, endure and tell other people, I would encourage you to evaluate and make sure that you've received the gospel of mega joy because growing up, many of my friends walked away from the gospel because it was never really the gospel of mega joy. It was more of a mega burden. So what is it that makes this the gospel of mega joy? Well, a couple of things. First of all, notice here uh, on your outline, Paul would say it like this. For as many as, the promise, as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Now what that means is the promises, in that case, as Paul's writing, those promises would have been promises that were given in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, because they didn't have the New Testament when Paul wrote that. So Paul says all of those promises that God gave his people in Jesus, they're still yes. They're still yes. So not only that, but then Paul would say, he, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on, what does it say? Better promises. You want to underline that. Now what that means is all the promises that God gave his people in the Old Testament, those are yes in Jesus. But not only that, they're even better for those of us who embrace Jesus. So what are some of those promises? Well, they're on your outline. Here's a great one, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So what are the benefits? Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your, what's that word? Diseases. So let's look at that. Does Jesus pardon your iniquities here or when you get to heaven? Here. So does Jesus want to heal you here or when you get to heaven? Here. Some people would say, yes, he can heal if it's his will. This promise says just as he wants to pardon all of your iniquities, all the sins and things we've done. He wants to heal. He wants to heal. 
I would suggest to you, if you come from a background where they say that all ended 2,000 years ago, or he only does that if it's his will, uh, you're going to have a harder time believing that he wants to heal. Uh, But he does. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So he wants that. Here's another one. Let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who delights in the, what's that word? Prosperity of his servant. Just like in the Old Testament, God wanted to see his people win and do well. You are created in the image of God. The very reason you want to see your kids grow up, do well, have good relationships. You want to see them, you know, excel in life is because you're created in the image of God. That's what God wants for his children. Uh, He doesn't want bratty kids, but he wants to see them do well in life as they follow him. It's just the promise. And it's even greater in the new covenant that we have. Well, we're going to stop right there today and we'll pick it up next week. Did you at least find that interesting today? So sometimes what we find as you go this week, and I want you to think through this, the Thessalonians, they were worshiping idols. They became disillusioned with that. They were fascinated with this God of the Jewish people that they found at the synagogue. And this God really cared about his people, wanted to see them do well. And so the people at the synagogue became spiritual mentors. But at a certain point, there was more growth. Paul shows up and he brings the gospel, the completion, we would say, of mega joy. And so it's, it's the God-fearing Greek Thessalonians who have a choice to make. You see, they can either stay inside of their box or they're going to have to go on and follow, follow the Lord as he leads. Because many who had been their spiritual mentors wouldn't make the jump, wouldn't make the jump. I want to encourage you as we study through and we look at what the Bible actually says, even if you come from a background that um, you know, some have been mentors that, that you, you follow what it actually says. And we're going to talk a great deal about that. The other thing I want to say today is maybe you're like me. I grew up in church. You would say, Dan, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, love Jesus. I always gave the Sunday school answer. Isn't the gospel so great? Oh, the gospel's so great. And so we'd all say that on the outside. But on the inside... It was always the gospel, not of mega joy, but of mega burden, mega rules, not awesome relationship, uh, not God wants to come alongside and see you do great things and empower you and accomplish and, and live out your purpose. That, that, that wasn't really part of it. It was that you keep these rules, these standards, and it was all about that. And many of my friends walked away because they were never told about the gospel of mega joy where God loved them, saw them as family, willing to sacrifice greatly for them, see them accomplish great things in their life. Uh, It was always the, the gospel of mega burden, mega rules. But that's not the gospel that Paul preached. I think that's why everywhere that Paul went, people wanted to receive the gospel that he gave because it was the gospel of mega joy. 
But if we're not careful, we're going to embrace another gospel that doesn't bring a lot of joy. I want for you today, as we close in prayer, very simply, if you've not embraced the gospel of mega joy, the Jesus of mega joy, would you do that today and invite that Jesus in? We're not inviting you to the the gospel of mega rules, mega burden, 1950s dress code, 1850s music. It's the God of mega joy. That's what he wants. And if you want that today, you can have that. Let's pray. Lord, as we wrap up this teaching today and and, uh, talk about some things that might be unusual to our ears, as we look at our own church background, the things that we've heard, the things that we've seen, we realize that for some of us, we didn't accept the gospel because it was never the gospel of mega joy. It was a gospel of mega burden. And for some of us, we embraced the gospel of mega burden, but um, we'd really like to embrace the gospel of mega joy. And it might mean that we have to go beyond some of those mentors as we look at what you actually say. With great respect to those who are our mentors and, and all that they invested in our lives. So we look to you and we say, Jesus, I want you, the Jesus of the Bible, step into my life. Give me this gospel of mega joy. Grow me. Help me to understand you for who you really are, not for my preconceived conceptions or misconceptions but I want to have a relationship with you, the relationship that brings mega joy. And so I invite that Jesus to come in. If that's you today, make sure you let somebody know, let us know. But as you invite him in, he'll never leave. But I encourage you, follow the Jesus of mega joy. Father, I pray that you, that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.